Welcome back to another episode of the Blue Line Brothers. Frank and Fred are back to discuss uh, how did we decide uh, part three of, uh, of training. Um, uh, 33 and a third, perhaps. Uh, yeah, I like a week that. homage to the Naked Gun series. Yeah. Maybe we could do that. But yes, we are back. We're going to talk a little bit about training. <clears throat> Excuse me, get into some uh, other finer points. We didn't have a chance to get into the, the first two episodes. And uh, first of all, I want to start off by uh, asking uh, Frank, what, uh, you know, obviously this is a loaded question, no pun intended, but <laughs> when we think about all this stuff, what is the greatest weapon in any given arsenal? What should be, I should say, what should be the greatest weapon of, of anyone's arsenal? Uh, Daisy Chain Claymores? Close, close. Oh, a oh little, is a little, it? A little more violent. A little more, uh, yeah, a little more destructive. Think, think more destructive. Oh, are you talking about the gray matter? Yeah, daggone it, man. Yeah. You know, I thought you were going to make it a little challenging. Oh, I mean, uh, um, uh, tannerite. Um, yeah, it, grenades. You're, you're, you're close. Napalm. Um, gasoline in the sprinkler system. Well, man, see heads on spikes. Uh, well, or who doesn't like a head on a spike? I think it's a very, I think it's a very nice. It, you know, it's it's a great touch. Art. It's yes, it's a great touch, don't you? And it sends a heck of a message. Yeah, it really does. A head on a pike. I mean, if somebody's driving across your property, wondering, you know what? I wonder if the owners are serious about trespassers around here. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, they look over and they see a head on a pike. Guess what? Or you know, a series of heads on spikes. But anyways, um, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, go back to the gray matter. You got yeah. it, man. You are absolutely correct as usual. Yes, the greatest weapon known to mankind is the gray matter, your mind. That Hence, we uh, are attempting to um, improve the mindset, and that's the whole idea of this. So, uh, when we talk about the mindset, it takes, I say, something uh, called enlightenment, if you will. It, it, when we talk about power, we talk about knowledge, right? Knowledge is power. And that's the whole idea. And possessing knowledge is a great thing. But once again, it goes back to the, that superior mindset theory uh, because you, you have to have that applicability of power to your said situation. So that's the whole idea. You can have tools of the trade. We can have firearms, uh, daisy chain explosives, uh, M240 Bravos, all kinds of stuff as far as tools go. But are those tools really going to be effective if the operator just doesn't have the proper mindset? Well, not only is it the mindset, but you have to have the common knowledge of how to use and employ those tools. Exactly. You could have, you know, uh, $18,000 Ma Deuce sitting in the backyard, but if you don't know how to use it, guess what? Well, now, now you have the knowledge of use, right? But let's take it a step further beyond that, okay? What happens when the proverbial poop hits the fan, okay? In the real world, and, and that's the other thing that we really want to stress here, no matter how what type of training, quote-unquote training, you undergo, it is still within a controlled environment. Okay, yeah. the real world is the uncontrolled environment. But the whole point here is, yes, training helps, and it, it, 
it really uh, reinforces, um, well, it should, in theory, would reinforce a lot of very good habits, you know, for training and, and deployment and things like that as far as knowledge of deployment of your tools. However, <clears throat> uh, if you don't have the wherewithal, the gumption, to be able to function in the real world when things go wrong, when things go bad, when things can, become... Can I, can I just put this in, like, layman's terms? Oh, yeah, I guess. If you don't have the balls to pull the trigger, then you might as well just go get in the flock and be one of the sheep and go lay down and die in the grass. Man, I was actually thinking about this whole train of thought, and you just... I, you know, I, mean, I, I was trying to sound halfway important. You know, well, it, you know, I mean, I don't I mean, have for a, lot a couple of, of knuckle draggers. We got to try, man. I we don't have try. a lot of skin on my knuckles because they drag all the time. Okay. So you know. Well, the other, you're right, man. You you got to have the the intestinal fortitude or the spine or whatever to actually go through with what has to be done. Balls. Uh, all right, all right, balls. <laughs> <sighs> but here's the thing: what happens when things get really uncomfortable? Um, well, I mean, how many times, I mean, we're, we're, you know, tr somebody's training in a nice air-conditioned indoor range, you know, static target, not moving, you know, you're standing at the line, you've, you've got all, you've got a little shelf there with all your things laid out, you know, a little sippy cup, I mean, you know, a cup of coffee or what yeah. have you, you know, and everything's nice and hunky-dory. And, um, you know, there's even a slight glitter off your wedding ring as you, uh, mm. you know, raise your weapon, you know, to the ready position and, and all of this. Uh, but what happens in the real world when shit hit the fan and all of a sudden you're, you're leaking blood from your left arm. Um, you're in a shit ton of pain because something hit your knee and you got to be focused on hitting your target. I mean, what the hell happens then? Well, what happens then is people like us step over your body and pick up what we want and move on down the road. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is another point. <clears throat> yeah, that, that could tend to happen. So, you know, the sheep that think that they're prepared, they're just mobile convenience stores. Well, and that's the whole point to this, is what you think you are, there's, uh, there's what you think within your own realm, and then there's the reality. And we all fall into that trap. I mean, mm -hmm. all of us. We, no matter how well trained you are, no matter but, from what and, and background here, you come. Here's the thing: <clears throat> I don't care how well equipped or well trained or whatever mindset you have. All it takes is one lucky shot, and you become a convenience store. Oh, of course. But you know where that that mindset, training, and experience keeps you from rolling down the road and going, well, you know, I could go down that dark alley and save five minutes worth of time, or I could just keep going. But why put yourself in that position? Exactly. That's where the mindset and your training and your experience comes into play and goes, so no, the boogeyman lives down there. You're trying to tell me that I should probably be aware of my situation somehow? Maybe I should be aware uh, of my tactical being, perhaps? Or uh, I mean, it would help. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, mean, I, I think you, you're... I if think you you're like having there. the fluid in your body that's supposed to be there, you oh, know, that, that magical red yeah, stuff... That's right. The object is to not leak. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. you don't want to spring a leak yeah. when you're attempting to get whatever it is done completed. I yeah. mean, unless you stub your toe and you cry, then okay, then you're going to leak. I get it. But well, you, know, you don't want to have any more um, unnatural holes in your body. So in other words, uh, train harder than you fight. It makes fighting a hell of a lot easier. No, well, fighting's never easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's easier if you actually it becomes are accustomed to placing nature. yourself into an uncontrolled environment, number one. And number two, place yourself into a, a very uncomfortable position. Yes, it becomes second nature. Learning how to function when poop hits the fan, learning how to function when you're in god-awful pain, mm-hmm. when you're hungry, uh, you, you realize you, <laughs> last, you, you lost half your kit. You know, two or three miles back because you hit this chuck hole, you weren't paying attention, and oh shit, you know, now you're down to, you've got one or two sidearms left, that's it, you know, oh my gosh, what am I going to do, I don't have my primary shoulder mounted firearm, oh my gosh, uh, what am I going to do, you know, so that's a whole thing, um, the, the, the worst case scenario uh, is workable, and that's how you have to train, is to the worst case scenario, and you realize that you can keep going. There is no stopping. There is no um, keeling over until, well, you decide that that's that's about time. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's a whole thing. Um, But yes, training harder than you fight is something, uh, it's it's something that I grew up with professionally because back in the 90s when I got into police work, when you were uh, you were still quite ensconced in the military, so I would imagine that you still share the same <laughs> mindset. Uh, we've talked about it before. And it was very uncomfortable. <clears throat> it's very uncomfortable. <clears throat> but that's the whole thing, man. You know, you go and that's, and I can, from personal experience, I can say 99% of all my injuries occurred from training. Um, and thankfully, I, in, a, in a weird sort of way, I think that's how you want things to happen because. Uh, fortunately, uh, first by divine intervention, and second by dumb luck, and third, uh, as I will say some training experience, uh, bad guys just didn't, we, we just didn't, uh, let's just say I worked through those scenarios when I had, you know, um, they didn't quite challenging play? events. Yeah, well, some of them did, but for some odd reason, uh, it worked out to where I won the encounter, and we got things wrapped up, and we're done. Like oh, I you, said, you mean cooler heads prevailed? <laughs> well, people that know Fred know that it's <laughs> it's hard to, you know, in this world. I, I hate to say it, but obviously, I think we can concur that within today's society, everybody compartmentalizes everything. Yeah. If you don't fit a certain title or a certain label, well, oh my God, you're a threat to humanity, and. Well, Fred has always never really fit in a specific um, position or, or, or group or, or organization or what have you. And that's a good thing because, once again, here's part of this mindset. When you think about it, and there again, and especially in police work, it's evident. Um, we have guys and gals that, that take uh, the, the tough guy mentality, okay? Well, the tough guy mentality eventually is going to get you killed or hurt or maimed, okay? The nice guy mentality, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you're not polite with people and, and stuff like that, but being the nice guy, the pushover, will get you hurt, maimed, or killed at some point in time, okay? Now, one thing that even Sigmund Freud couldn't figure out is crazy, 
Okay, now, I'm not saying wild, crazy, you know, as far as uh, making an ass of yourself and stuff like that. What I'm talking about is, if I approach you as, as an officer, you know, I might say something off-kilter that you would not expect a police officer to ask, or, or to mention, or something like that. I, say, I might walk up and say, you know what, I like fuchsia color elephants. Sir, what's your opinion on uh, fuchsia color elephants? I mean, would you... And, of course, people look at you like, what... The, well, what did I just do, though? I know that's kind of a silly yeah, example, just, but here's the I thing. Mean, I mentally disarmed the guy. Yeah, you okay, threw him off his game. Because he's already planning. Okay, I'm already behind the eight ball as an officer, as a responsive person. Let's put it that way. Whether you're in the military, law enforcement, what have you, when you're responding to a situation, the deck is stacked against you. Uh, for you many know, ways. There, there's... I can't remember it. There's a, a an acronym for that. Um, Laszlo? No. I'm like look, observe, some something. Oh. You 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 perceive it, then your brain has to recognize. Right. Then you form mm -hmm. a, a plan, and then you um, <clears throat> you implement a plan. And you make it happen. Yes. But there's a certain name for yeah, it. I, actually, I, uh, I the, the OODA loop. Um, there it is. The, the OODA loop was, um, you know, a, a rather famous Air Force yeah. general. Uh, came up with the OODA loop back in the 1950s, uh, uh, late 40s. And yes, yeah. you're absolutely right. Uh, he and, was actually a pilot. Yes, yes. <clears throat> yeah. Yes. And uh, hence the need for developing the OODA loop. Yeah. Literally. Uh, how to respond so, to what, emergencies in the air and where I was going with that is, you know, that guy already had his plan in, it was loaded, and then you came in, threw him off of it. Now he had to think about what you said, register it in his brain, and then form a whole nother plan of attack. Right. In the meantime, it gives me a second or two to assess him, assess the situation, and come up with my own reaction or what have you. But yes, the whole point to this is an action and a reaction. What's always slower? The reaction. Oh, the reaction. So <clears throat> the whole idea is to try to cut that time down a little bit, if at all possible. <clears throat> Excuse me. That wherein lies uh, things like situational awareness, personal uh, awareness, um, tactical awareness. Once again, it depends upon uh, the scenario in which you might find yourself. But... Yes, uh, learning how to first be aware, and what we joke around about in our profession is a trained observer, which we we in law enforcement should all be trained observers, but how many of us miss at times the obvious right? And well, and, and a lot of that falls under complacency. It does, you're right. You, you, you get complacent in your thoughts, you get complacent in your actions, and in your job. And, you know, you just see the bad guy walk in front of your car carrying a bloody knife. And then three seconds later, it comes across the radio with the BOL. And you're like, huh, I wonder. Yeah. Nah. <laughs> Couldn't it be that guy with hey, a bloody knife? No. He, he had a different shirt on. That wasn't him. He was out slicing tomatoes. That's yeah. not blood. I mean, you, you get complacent yeah. and you just, you generally overlook 90% of stuff because you're looking through a tunnel vision. Oh my gosh, you just brought up that term. You're just, you're you're literally thinking, okay, Ooh. I get off, 
I go 10.42 at uh, 2 o'clock. And it is now 12 o'clock. No, no. I'm going to go hide. For those not in the business, what's 10.42 mean? Oh, <clears throat> I get off work. Yeah, time to go home. Yep, time to grab a donut. I mean, a granola bar. Yes, yeah. yes, granola. It's healthier for you. And no, not all law enforcement officers are fat. Well, technically, donuts are healthier than meth. Yeah, they are, actually. It's, See? You no, know what? Boom. Studies have found that donut habits are far less fatal than meth habits. Yeah. Yes. Oh. We have conducted an unscientific poll stating that, right. which means it has to be true because we're a couple knuckle-draggers on, uh, on some uh, podcast channel. Mm-hmm. So whatever spews out of our pie holes has to be the truth. That's right. And, it, and technically, it's on the Internet, so it is... Nope. 100% true. Yes, and thanks to you, we are now on all major podcast <laughs> providers, are we not? Uh, yes, uh, we still have a few that we're trying to work bugs out on, okay. but you know, Amazon, Google, all all the, the major players, uh, we're still working on the Apple one. But, uh, but that's coming. Within <clears throat> a day or two, we'll have that worked out, too. And, so. you know, technically, if you want to get interesting and you have questions or... The, the beloved hate mail you can get a hold of us at the uh, gmail account of blue line brothers 22 and send us some uh, send us some inquiries if you will sure sure you got questions concerns you just want to bet you at it's fine want something something to talk about on a future episode let us know favorite donut types oh yeah Con Cannons, Donuts, and Muncie. But, but, yeah, I'm not even going to go any further than that. Be careful now. You know, we may have people from California mail order donuts from... That's fine. <laughs> I mean, who knows? You know what? We probably just made them like a billion dollars just by just by you uttering their net. Holy smokes, man. That, well, <laughs> I, I, I just want 1%. All right, back to training. Damn it. We'll be talking about the donuts all night long if we're not careful. Yeah, that's true. And speaking of that, that's the whole idea, okay? You train harder than you fight, okay? You know, we took things quite seriously back in the 90s, okay? We really did. And I'm not saying that people don't now, but we're going to get into some experiences <laughs> uh, that, that Frank experienced. All right, Frank suffered, all right? He suffered, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But we're going to do a little bit of comparison, okay? Oh. Then versus now, all right? <coughs> Excuse me. So, back in the 90s... Uh, Heck, nobody needed cops, okay? we, Everybody was pretty much chock full on the police officer count. So, should a position open, uh, like a major uh, city police department, they, you know, if they have their own uh, academy and, uh, excuse me, everything, uh, resor- their own resources and everything, then, of course, they'll probably wait to, to put on, excuse me, an actual academy class of maybe 20 or 30 or 50 or what have you course in major departments it could be a few hundred so the whole idea is uh, a lot of these uh, smaller agencies may only have two or three uh, road positions open or merit positions however they might be referred uh, in in other states and and everything but full-time law enforcement positions so uh, in my experience I could go and apply for a sheriff's department uh, maybe two or three spots open and I'm uh, uh, facing about Two maybe three thousand other applicants for just a handful of positions, which means you know that 
hiring process that we do, uh, the, you, when you go to show up to take the written exam, if you don't score a 99%, you're done. You might as well just walk away. Uh, well, you will walk away, actually. I mean, it's pretty, pretty cut and dry after that. But the whole point is, officially, yeah, the cutoff may be 70% or 75%. But because of, you know, uh, the competition, um, yeah, you had best be on your game because you have to perform better than, than these other candidates. Uh, a lot of times the PT is a pass-fail thing, but once again, if they have an overabundance of candidates, uh, maybe they might, they, they might put it on a graduated scale of some sort. So once again, you need to be in physical condition. Uh, you need to be in better physical condition than what the quote-unquote minimum um, uh, standards might be listed. Okay, and then it comes to interview um, you know, learning how to interview with, with people and boards. Okay. Um, well, see that. So my department, we, we had interviews and I'm going to tell you that, uh, I, I think they stopped teaching anything about doing interviews in school because it was painful. Wow. Extremely painful. All right, guys. Gals just couldn't answer questions, or I mean, it's a very simple question. Like, in your own words, tell me what community policing is. I had blank stares. I had one guy look at me and go, "Oh, well, that's uh, just policing the community." I'm done. You know, I wrote so many stupid freaking reports in college about community policing because that was the in thing back in the night. Community policing this, community policing that, community policing all around. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's the thing. It, there are techniques um, to deal with things. Um, for, now, that's that's the other thing too. It was quite comical. One time I, I was uh, in the process for a sheriff's department and uh, I had to face a board of captains, for instance. There were eight captains on this board. And, of course, the way they arrange the room, you walk in and there's a little chair in the center of the room and the light's all on the chair and you sit down and you're looking up at this, you know, the uh, <clears throat> line of, <clears throat> of eight um, men and women all happen to be wearing captain's bars for some reason. Oh. I, they called it a board of captains, so I guess oh, it, they had to be wearing captain's bars. But at any rate, that, of course, like with every formal interview there's a set number of questions and they ask the exact same question to every candidate the exact same fashion blah 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 blah. okay well we get through that and i'm i'm feeling pretty good about myself i actually answered the questions and um i mean i actually had uh some original answers i i wasn't just uh, trying to you know cut and paste crap from my head or memory or something like that so at any rate we get toward the end and all of a sudden one captain stands up uh, points his right hand in the form of a gun, his index finger is a barrel, points it to another captain, wraps his arm around his head, uh, points his finger at the captain's temple and says, your, your, uh, your hand is your weapon. Drop your weapon. You have five seconds to drop your weapon before I kill the captain. Four, three, I drop your weapon, drop your weapon, drop your weapon. I'm pointing my finger at the captain that has the other captain at, at, at bay. Drop your weapon, drop your weapon. Three, two, bang. one, bang. <clears throat> the other captain, they sit down, everybody comports themselves, <clears throat> looks at me. Uh, thank you, sir. The door is right over there. 
I'm thinking, damn. So I get up. Of course, I don't say that out loud. I get up and I walk out and I'm thinking, daggone it, man, I really screwed up. I, I shot the captain. You know, I shot the hostage taker. Oh my gosh, what am I thinking? You know, daggone it. Two weeks later, I got a letter. What do you think it said? Probably uh, prepare for the next step in the yeah. process. Yeah, as a matter of fact, yes. Congratulations, you passed with flying colors. Like, Holy crap. See, I, I shot the hostage. I, hmm. I, I probably would have shot him on like three or four. Oh, uh, yeah. You're just sadistic. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Maybe. But, I, I, you know what? If I shot him earlier, I could have probably used a few more bullets. Exactly. I mean, heck, yeah. Isn't that the goal? He, he does pose a threat. He does have a gun in well, his hand. So, yes, you know, yes. You're right. You're boom, right. boom, 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 <clears throat> boom. So, uh, but that's the whole thing. And that's, uh, once again, there are legitimate psychological reasons why they do things like that and why the interviews are structured the way they are. But <clears throat> that's the whole thing. You get through that, and then when it comes to academy time, okay, when it comes to training time back then, once again, we trained to the highest common denominator, okay? So whoever the best guy or gal was in the class, you know, that's, you know, we're, we're kind of like setting the curve, okay? Um, and if it's not high enough, then it's up to the cadre. They'll, they'll make it high enough. Uh, but that's the whole point is... Um, you had a very good chance of not making it through training. If you made too many mistakes, if you know, we, you know, obviously with, with an academy setting, you don't have just written exams to worry about and book work, but you also have the um, practical applications, the practical exams and, and things like that, especially when it gets into defensive tactics and um, you know, uh, vehicle operation and, and um, firearms and things like that. So, uh, Excuse me. Uh, it was quite intense, and of course well, they. Let, let me let me ask you this. So when you were in, did they afford you the opportunity to think outside the box? Yes, they did. Did they actually push you to think outside the box, to make your own decisions, and you know, find a way to get uh, through? whatever's going on easier actually yes in a way because their goal was to not make anything easy not make any decision easy um and once again ramp up the stress and uh <clears throat> excuse me ramp up um the threat level if you will um because once again they cannot no amount of controlled training uh can directly emulate the uncontrolled environment. Okay. Now, of course, they try hard, mm -hmm. um, but obviously, and they know this obviously. So, but they they purposely now what they learned prior to my generation coming in, there were a lot of scenarios that were played that were quote unquote no win scenarios, and they found. Uh, and I remember reading this study in college before I got to an academy. So it was interesting because, uh, like I said, my generation was kind of a, uh, um, well, we, we just merged in from, from one thought process into another. And, I mean, a lot of generations are like that, obviously. But the whole thing is... Uh, kind of an amalgamation of everything. We did. And I'm glad. I mean, I'm happy. When I look back on things and then I look back once we, once we get into to your... Um, 
experience. Let's call it. Yeah, an experience. Yeah. <laughs> when we get into your experience, it's a great example of what's going on, and I'm very happy that I was able to glean the training that I was able to when I did, because I do credit the training that I took in keeping my uh, happy butt in one piece uh, in the real world. And but when I'm get, before I digress too much, the <clears throat> the older mentality was the the no-win situation. Um, and they found that uh, repeated no-win situations basically trained an officer to give up. And, uh, and of course, the, these are some topics we can touch on down the pike in other episodes. We'll, we don't want to uh, get too deeply in the weeds with this. But that's the whole thing. So when, when I was coming through the academy, the, the cadre was careful not to just place us in a bunch of no-win scenarios. Um, they purposely uh, pushed us uh, and pushed us and pushed us to keep fighting. Okay, if if the chips are down, so to speak, you fight, you fight, you fight. Uh, one example of that, uh, I was in one academy doing DTs. <clears throat> I uh, I had the opportunity. I and there again, it's a little bit of a little bit of an ego decision here because I'm thinking, you know, I go in and we're all the class knew, you know, we were going to be doing uh, what we call fighting red man. <laughs> and back then, of course, now. I don't think there are a whole lot of academies. I'm, I'm hoping that there are academies that, that train in Red Man and, and fight the Red Man, so it, to speak. It's, it's more on a department level. Okay. Not so much at the academy level. Well, we need it needs to be everywhere, as far as I'm concerned, uh, because I learned more about myself in in uh, this particular scenario than I would have learned in, in any other uh, combined. But that's the whole thing. Um, I basically picked up one when we walked up into the, the training room, uh, a wrestling room, uh, I'm looking around and said, okay, if I'm going to get my butt beaten, I want to get it beaten by the biggest instructor. <laughs> that's a, and of course that's exactly what happened. I mean, there were three instructors and lo and behold, I end up getting chosen by the biggest guy who happened to be at the time a professional cage fighter. Now <clears throat> this guy, I'm just going to say... Uh, at the time, I wasn't my heaviest. I was probably about 200 pounds, where I am now. So about six foot, 200 pounds, not real big. Uh, this instructor, would, he had me by a good 50 pounds, 50 to 55 pounds, which, you know, anybody that wrestled, anybody that boxes or, you know, MMA, martial arts, that's a pretty substantial amount of weight, uh, especially yeah. with somebody that knows what they're doing. Okay, so this guy's a professional cage fighter. Uh, as well as a, uh, at the time, I believe he was a sergeant in charge of training for this particular sheriff's department. So we get in the ring, and of course, he's in his red man suit. Okay, let, I have to describe it. The red man suit is, he is all padded up. Now, I have boxing headgear on and a mouthpiece. Okay, that's it. Everything else, you know, any other, the students, the cadets, the trainees, however you want to call us, uh, we just had the headgear and a mouthpiece. Uh, we did not have any other padding on. So, um, you know, we got the full brunt of whatever was thrown at us. And um, normally the instructor would not get the full brunt. Now, the instructions were, hey, you have been trained in certain techniques. Uh, you must utilize those techniques in order to put down the instructor. Now, the whole idea was we were to fight for three to four minutes, take a 30 to 45 second break, and then go back at it. 
Well, when we went back at it, the whole idea was, yes, at that point in time, as a student, you were to utilize, I was to utilize the proper techniques to put down my assailant. Uh, if I did not, then the fight continued, and it continued, and it continued. Now, the, the, um, the, the uh, tagline to that, that training was, there is no tap out on the street. Okay, so once again, here, here's a great uh, avenue to work toward that superior mindset. Okay, there is no tap out on the street. Once again, this is a scenario where, yeah, you're by yourself on a dark, lonely street. The bad guy's a hell of a lot bigger than you are, and he knows something that maybe you don't, like some martial arts or something, you know, whatever. And he's hell-bent on taking you out of this planet or taking you off of this planet. So you are going to fight, and that's it. So uh, we go at it. And that, like, no, they gave us a foam rubber baton, by the way. You know, that, that was supposed to, yeah, we, I could use baton. So I, I get in the ring, and the instructor's looking at me. He's sizing me up, and I'm like, oh, dear God. Let's just get this over with. I, I Maybe I shouldn't have picked the biggest guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm about to get my clock cleaned. And sure enough, he's, he's sizing me up. He says, he starts to laugh a little bit. He chuckles, and he looks at me and says, uh, you lift weights? I said, sir, just a couple very, very tiny, tiny little weights, sir. He looks at me, starts like, oh, no, I'm going to open up on your ass because you can take it. <laughs> he said, all these other people? Nah, he said, but you. He said, you're going to be the example for the class. I'm like, oh, criminy. Who, who, what, how the, oh, man, God does not like me, okay? God hates me at this point in time, okay? I know, I'm getting my clock cleaned, and this is going to be painful, okay? Now. I, I'm looking at that baton. He sees me kind of wave that baton around, and I just toss it out of the ring. He looks at me. He goes, oh, yeah, you're my kind of guy. I said, what's foam going to do to you? <laughs> I mean, honestly, <laughs> what, what, this is that's just ridiculous. I mean. <laughs> You've got three-quarters of inch of padding all over your body. What am I going to do with this? Right, right. So what happens within the first, oh, I'd say five to six seconds, this guy hit me hard enough. I still remember a fist coming at me, and I remember the the notion going through my mind was move, dummy, move, dummy, move, dummy, wham! I got it right square in the in the schnoz, and I and I'm I, the first thought after the strike was you should have moved, dummy, you know, and I so here we go. Well, what had happened is we start getting entangled with one another. All right. Well, my foot gets entangled with his foot, and we start wrestling as we're trying to punch each other. Well, he starts pushing me down. Right about the time my scapula touches the mat, my right ankle pops. I'm like, oh, actually it felt good, but I knew what happened. It's like, well, that snapped. Okay. <laughs> Broken ankle. Uh, we're, we're only a couple seconds into this, and wow. <clears throat> so this is, this is going to be a long three minutes because, once again, that's something else. Anybody, anybody that has actually done any fighting knows how long three minutes is. I'm telling you. An eternity? Everybody in eternity. So we get out of we, and I'm going to tell you something. As silly as this sounds, it was funny because I, I can laugh now. Obviously, it's funny now, twenty some odd years after it happened. But at the time, I was not laughing. I can I can assure you of that. Uh, thank God, to my credit, I was not crying, but I was not laughing either. So at any rate, we we get back at it, and sure enough, man, we're punching each other. We're th he throws me into a wall. I throw him into a wall, and and the we're just all over the place. And, um, and it was funny because a couple of the people that were watching the fight, the other cadets, trainees, however you want to call them, um, heard me growling. 
and I was literally growling. <laughs> and uh, so at any rate, yeah, we we uh, he he had uh, you know had several other strikes on me. At any rate, three minutes finally uh, uh, times out. And we had a couple of state troopers uh, monitoring the class because it was a state certified uh, academy. So we had a couple state troopers. We take our break, and of course they had a couple of paramedics. They're looking at me. Uh, they they couldn't get the headgear off my head. It was that bad. I mean, I had, my face was swelling up to the point to where it's like, yeah. We the paramedic comes up. He starts looking in my eyes. He said, "Man, there's so much shit floating in there. I can't discern what the hell's going on." And the trooper looks at him and says, you mean he's got a concussion? He said, <laughs> the question is how many? <laughs> he said, there's shit floating around in there. I said, the trooper looks at me and says, you're done, son. I said, no, sir, I'm not. He looked at me. He said, no, you don't understand. You're done. He said, now you sit down. And we're going to have the medic take a look at you. And he said, if you have to take a trip to the hospital, then you're getting to the hospital. I said, no, sir, I'm not. I said, I still got 45 seconds left to beat the shit out of that guy. He looks at me and says, he starts laughing. He said, you think you can beat the shit out of that guy? Yeah, I do, actually. I do think I can beat the shit out of that guy. And I said, with all due respect, sir, if you don't let me in there, I'm going to hit you. <laughs> he backs up, puts his hands up. Uh, I don't want any part of that. You have right at it. <laughs> he said, you go right ahead, man. It's your funeral. I said, sir, yes, sir. It is. I walk in there. Man, well, I wasn't walking. I was hobbling at that point. And by that time, even a dumbass could see my ankle was about, you know, four sizes larger than normal. So I hobble in there. Man, that, that instructor looks at me and says, oh, he said, you are my kind of guy. He said, we're going at it. And I said, sir, yes, sir. And I said, with all due respect, I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> and he looked at me. He starts laughing. He said, I'm not laughing at you. He said, you come get me. And I said, sir, yes, sir. And we started. And I finally... Finally, it took me three minutes, a broken ankle, what turned out to be several cracked ribs, uh, several concussions. It took me a while to figure out that dummy might aim for the cracks the, in between the pads. <laughs> Not the pads, but in between the pads. Well, it happened to work out. That, and I still to this day will give credit to the instructor. I'm sure he went down, you know, just to be kind to dumb animals. But the whole point is... Uh, it, I was, I was, uh, going at it and, and finally uh, a hand comes out that was not mine and, uh, taps on the mat <laughs> and, uh, and I just, I said, sir, there's no tap out on the street. There is no tap out on the street. And he said, uh, we, we finally stopped. I mean, obviously I'm not going to keep going. I stopped and finally I, it, it, that was pretty much my last breath. Okay, well, fast forward, the next day, uh, I did not go to the hospital. They actually had to, uh, actually during that night, they, they kept a uh, paramedic watching me because they didn't want me, you know, dropping dead and, and all this stuff. So, at any rate, I, I finally got enough water in me and, and uh, got enough uh, O2 flowing through me and everything like that that I was able to drive myself home. And the next day, I, I was a, uh, a park ranger for a city, major city park. So, I go into work, hobbling in. And uh, the, I go past the chief chief's office, and I walk, and I said, "Sir," I said, I, "I I need to apologize." And he looked at me, and said, uh, "How many semi trucks ran you over last night?" <laughs> and I, "Is it that bad, sir?" He said, "Dear God Almighty, your face looks like somebody you know took a you know one of those meat tenderizers to it." I said, "Well, that's about what it feels like, sir." Uh, yeah, uh, and. He sees me hobble down to sit down. He said, 
holy criminy. I said, yes, sir. I said, I apologize. I couldn't put, fit my boot on my ankle, so I had to wear a sneaker to come into work. I said, I apologize for being out of uniform, but you don't have to apologize. What the hell happened to you? I said, well, defensive tactics at the academy. And he looked at me and said, this is ridiculous. He said, I understand the training has to be tough, but this is bullshit. He said, I'm going to call up right now and complain. I said, sir, please do not complain. Do not pick up that phone and complain. No. <clears throat> and he said, no, 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 really, really, we have to, you know, we can't have this kind of stuff. I said, no, sir, you don't understand. I said, that was probably the best training of my life up to this point. All right. Um, and I, and I would probably say once again, I can't, you know, uh, prognosticate the future, but I'm going to guess that that was probably some of the best training in my life that I'll ever have. And I said, you don't understand, sir. I, uh, I learned more about myself and I learned more about, um, my focus and attention on, 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 um, extreme challenges. Let's just put it that way. And he said, he just sits down. He looks at me and says, look, I went to college to be, uh, you know, a zoologist. He said, I'm here to, you know, I'm a park ranger because I, I, I want to build trails. I want to build parks and, and stuff like that. He said, I wear a gun because I have to. He said, I don't understand that world. He said, I really don't. And he said, and I said, sir, with all due respect, I, I completely understand. And I said, I, I'm not trying to be a wiseacre when I say that, but, <clears throat> um, you know, uh, cause I have, I still have a great deal of respect for the man. Um, and, but that's the thing. I, it, people that choose a martial way in life, a martial path, they understand. And there's probably the vast majority of, of society that has not experienced a few steps on that path. And that's the whole thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, um, that particular scenario, that training fight right there, um, <clears throat> probably saved my ass in a number. I mean, once again... I've spent several years working in a very violent area of the city, <clears throat> excuse me, and within those years, uh, there were plenty of opportunities uh, for me to have my clock cleaned by bad guys. Um, I'm going to say that right now, and that's one reason why, you know, we're going to talk more about manipulation and, and uh, some psychological effects to things and stuff like that, because I realized that no matter how big, bad, and tough you are, you know, entering into a physical confrontation with somebody... Uh, greatly increases your chances of getting hurt, maimed, or dead. Okay, I don't care if you're Bruce Lee or Joe Schmuckatelli or Fred. It doesn't make a difference. So the whole idea is let's let's not have to go there if we don't have to. You know, if we can figure out a better way uh, of getting through this stuff, that's great. But the thing is, there's always that small percentage of society that only understands violence. So... Excuse me. Um, and that's another thing people don't understand. Well, you don't want to fight, but yet you train to fight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I train to fight a lot. I go to the gym. Once again, that uh, scenario, I'll use myself as an example. I know I'm not a, a, a fast person. My reaction time, my hand-eye my you know, hand -eye coordination has always been uh, lackluster or poorer than, than most others. So I have to compensate for that stuff. I know I'm going to have to absorb energy from a bad guy or bad guys in order for me to get the job done, okay? I know that in my mind. So I train to absorb energy, okay? And that's the thing. I put myself in in um, uncomfortable scenarios in the gym. You know, uh, when I was working uh, uh, in the city, you know, uh, when I went into the to the gym, I'd go up and I'd pick up, you know, uh, 
there's no warm-up. There's no warm-up on the street. So I go and pick up 85, 90-pound dumbbells and start pressing them, you know, three and four sets as fast as I can, as hard as I can, put them down. Okay, now I started, you know, that's my warm-up. Okay, now I go into to, uh, heavy stuff, you know, and, and start doing heavy stuff. And boom, 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 boom. Because once again, three minutes is an eternity. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I know that. I know I'm not Bruce Lee. And I know um, that I'm going to have to be tough enough to absorb energy efficiently or properly and still work through that uh, to get the job done. And that's well, the thing. And, uh, and <clears throat> the other aspect of that is while they're beating on you, you're... you're your energy's in reserve. They're going to expend all of theirs, and when they're tired, then you blow up and you're you're yes. back on top. And that works. I've done exactly that, and it does work. Um, well, there again, man. How many times, uh, especially grappling? I kind of like being on the ground. I mean, that's mm -hmm. my kind of thing. Um, if I can get somebody on the ground, now, once again, with a gun belt with a bunch of crap on it, it's a little bit cumbersome. But me, myself, I would much rather be on the ground and grapple. Oh, yeah. That's just me. Uh, and we all have our perks, you know, what we like to do, what we don't like to do. But, uh, yeah, exactly. If somebody grabs me, for instance, from behind, once again, we do all kinds of training scenarios. Um, all you have to do is relax. For instance, I mean, there again, I'm. this is not... Uh, educational. This is completely uh, for uh, pure entertainment. Uh, so this is not uh, some type of martial arts um, um, skills academy or anything else. Okay, this is merely examples of what have worked for us. Uh, but in many situations, especially for training situations, once again, a fully um, controlled environment. Yeah, somebody grabs you, you know what, I relax. Now, all of a sudden, you've got 200 and some odd pounds of dead weight that you have to manage. Right. And I don't have to do a darn thing. As a matter of fact, once I relax, guess what? I've got more energy. So, like, okay, fine. I'll just leave it to you to, to manage me. And, uh, okay, you're going to have to expend all your strength. And uh, I can tell when you get tired. It won't take long at all to figure that out. And uh, yep. there you go. Your grip loosens up. He starts breathing heavy. And next thing you know, boom, done. Yeah. But that's and that's another aspect to this too. Uh, you don't want to get lulled into fighting somebody else's fight, and that's something I wanted to bring up as well. Um, it, you don't, um, and that's something uh, guys and gals that do know how to fight that have experience. That's exactly what they want to do. Okay, they want to be able to manipulate you uh, to their advantage. So uh, whether it be physically or mentally or even emotionally, okay, there there are many levels of manipulation, and um, you don't want to allow yourself to fight the other person's fight, your your uh, your opponent's fight. Okay, just like in checkers or chess or go or whatever you're playing, you know, board games. Same thing. You know, same tenets apply. You want to fight your fight, and uh, that's because that's what you're most comfortable doing. You want to try to keep yourself as comfortable as possible, and let <coughs> let your um, assailant or bad guy or um, or whomever, um, <clears throat> uh, try to figure out your fight. So, you know, once again, you want to try to stack the proverbial deck as much in your favor as possible if you can. So, so a lack of reaction is a reaction in itself. Yes, you're right. And they, you know, the proverbial bad guy, 
he's getting a reaction, but it's not what he wants. You know, he he wants to call you every name in the book, expecting you to blow up, and you just sit there and laugh at him. Well, he's getting a reaction. Oh yes, but he's not getting what he wants. <laughs> As and a matter, then it throws him off his game because he's starting to realize, holy shit, I might get my ass kicked. Here I was thinking that once again, you don't judge a book by its cover. You know, once again, and there again, it goes back to some um, uh, proper assessment techniques that we'll get into at a, at a later. That's in a whole other topic down the pike. Well, okay, same time frame, different side of the house. So when I was in the army, <clears throat> we literally used to have platoon fights, and I was in second platoon, and. It's always broke down on a hallway. You have second platoon on one end, first platoon on another end, and so forth and so on. And there's always a line in the middle. Like, this is our side of the hallway. This is your side of the hallway. And we would actually beat the piss out of each other. I mean, we're talking bloody noses, broken fingers. It didn't matter. But it was... Uh, <clears throat> you, you have two platoons of legitimate knuckle draggers doing this for fun. We weren't mad at each other. We just beat the piss out of each Extracurricular other. activities. Oh, yeah. Yes. I mean, that's what we did. And it would be over something stupid as somebody pushes the mop bucket onto our end of the hallway and we don't like it. Next thing you know, everybody piles out in the hallway and we're beating the snot out of each other. So is that where that uh, <clears throat> phrase about shoving a mop handle up somebody's yoo-hoo, is that, is that derived from maybe situations like that? <laughs> maybe. Okay. Just curious. But, I mean, you know, and, and <clears throat> it was, it, it was almost encouraged for us to do that because... You're putting yourself into a situation that you have to get yourself out of. And being in the infantry, I mean, that's what we did. You go into places and you put yourself in situations that you have to get out of. You have to have that mental capacity to say, hmm, I'm going to punch you so hard that you're going to wake up next week. And in turn, you have to understand that I'm going to get punched so hard that I'm probably not going to be able to see straight for a couple of days. And that's how it just, it just happens. And you, I dare I say it, you get used to it. Well, you're conditioned. Mm -hmm. That's the whole idea. And it makes a lot of things a lot easier down the pipe. Like, you know, you, you got... You got your ruck on and all of your gear, and you know you're, you're you've got 120 pounds on your back, and you just start walking. But because of your mental state, you just screw it and just keep going until you get to point A. Then you go to point B, and then you go to point C, and then you're there. Meanwhile, your body hurts, but you just don't. Pay attention to it. Well, yeah, because you're focused on other. And it's 
you can take that same thought process, that same mentality, and apply it to the law enforcement side of the house, <clears throat> and you can you can cover probably eight out of ten points with that mentality. And yes, you have to tailor it because of you know, today's society and everything. I can't just go beat the shit out of somebody because they looked at me funny. But I can use the verbal judo or you know play mind games with them until they beat them, you know, beat their own selves up. Well, and also it, it goes toward command presence too, and, and that's a once again, 80% of human communication is not Yeah, and then, then there's perception. If you look like you know what you're going to do, and you know how to do it, they're probably going to leave you alone. You know, I mean, if you look like you don't know what you're going to do, then they're going to... In other words, yes, if you look indecisive, if you look apprehensive, um, once again, command presence isn't a tough guy. Uh, stance of uh, well exuded confidence to a point not overconfidence but uh, one who will fill his or her uniform aptly uh, one who uh, stands up straight in the um, shoulders not in the belly <laughs> there you go um, but yeah you're right and and doesn't look like a soup sandwich yeah. You know, uh, in, in uniform, in other words, your gig line's straight, you actually maybe press your trousers, you know, you uh, take pride in your appearance, you take pride in the badge that you represent, or in the military, you know, the, the colors that you represent, um, that's command presence, and uh, it, we'll get into that down the pike too, uh, some other episodes, but yes, their uh, command presence can save your hiney, um, just as easily as, as other modes of manipulation. So. Yeah. But, you know, it's, we started off talking about training and putting yourself in situations and positions and that are unnatural. As an example, so when, when I go to the range by myself, um, I don't go and stand on the line and shoot the target and go, oh, that's really good. No, 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 no. I get out on the range and I'll set up three targets. Kind of in a, a lazy pyramid, if you will. One at 12, maybe one at two, maybe one at 11. And I will literally move side to side do it a diagonal. I'll lay down. I'll, I'll, I'll be on my side. I'll shoot weak side, looking out of my my weak eye, weak side eye, like my left eye. I'll be. <laughs> I'll lay down and shoot between my legs to hit the target. I mean, these are some of the most uncomfortable positions. That, God forbid, if I ever get into that position. I know what to do and you know I <clears throat> I don't I don't try to go for 
accuracy, meaning I don't try and shoot the center of the target out. I literally take a marker and I will draw a square where the solar plexus are. And I'll go side to side on the edge of the, the target, the silhouette in there, and I'll come down, I'll leave a space, I'll put another dot, that'll be the belly button. And I'll put another square. Then of course, you know, you have the upper chest where the clavicle comes in to the sternum, the neck, and the face. That's another little tiny square. I shoot for area. I don't shoot for the nine ring. I don't shoot for the ten. I, don't, I, don't, I shoot for area because if it gets to the point that I have to pull and shoot, I want to shoot areas that I know is going to either make that person unalive in the quickest way possible or incapacitate him to where he doesn't want to fight and he will stop what he's doing, which means trying to kill me. So stopping the threat would be a good thing is what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and hitting a tiny ring necessarily may not facilitate <clears throat> that. No. That end. Because I mean, what, what happens if this guy went on Amazon and he bought a, a um, he bought a vest and he's got it underneath his, his shirt, yeah. underneath yeah, his jacket. We've had those situations occur. Yeah. Okay. So if that's the case, um, that's where the other boxes come into play. I'm going to shoot you in the girdle. I'm going to get you in the belly button. I'm going to get you up in, in, in the, in the, uh, in the sternum clavicle area. But what about the gizzard? Oh, I'm a god. That's the next one up. I'm going to get you in the gizzard. You're going to get you in the gizzard? I'm going to get you right You're in the gonna gizzard. You're going to shoot him right in the gizzard. <laughs> <clears throat> but, yeah, and I'm just glad that nobody is ever out there when I'm doing this because, well, those pictures would hit the internet I was going to so say, that, that was going to be my next line of questioning, uh, Frank. Uh, what if, well, let's just say, how valuable would these pictures be to you? If someone were to happen to uh, <laughs> snap a few, maybe you weren't paying attention. Uh, well, just just by curiosity, I mean, I'll just say uh, extremely valuable. Well, I mean, funny you should I, I, say I, that because there's there's I, this Barrett rifle I've had my eye on for the last <laughs> 10, 15, 20 years, and you know I can't, I've never had enough cash to really just justify a purchase. Uh, but you know I'm thinking that perhaps here in the near future, <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> I, I might, um, yeah. I, I, I will give you an example as one of the off the wall positions that I will get in. So I will have my back to the targets I'll get down on my knees and I will literally lean forward kick either right or leg out to where it's kind of like a an oblique looking triangle and I will literally shoot upside down between my legs mm -hmm. at the target I was going to ask you if you practice shooting upside down because mm -hmm. that is yeah um, there's when we when we go and we shoot as a department, if we run the uh, combat course, for example, one of the things, or one of the stations that we do, <clears throat> you're, you're seated at a quote-unquote table, and there are three poppers over here, which uh, 
if you don't know what a popper is, it's a it's a uh, silhouette that's maybe six inches in across, maybe. But when you hit it, it falls down. Metal reactionary target type of thing. And we'll have those sitting over there. And the scenario is you're either at the office, you're at a restaurant, or you know wherever. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to. All right, ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> some of you, some of you might dare to think that Frank and Fred might be a couple of amateur podcasters, but no, that could not be further from the truth. You out there in podcast land just experienced a perfected lesson of manipulation. <laughs> we made you tune in to this continuation episode yeah. of training. We did this on purpose. This was all constructively <clears throat> manipulated. By Frank and Fred. And that's the story I'm sticking with. Yeah, yeah. So go ahead, Frank. You were uh, grossly interrupted. Please. So, uh, I'm trying to think where I left off. Oh, yeah. So the the whole theory is that it's you're in a restaurant, three bad guys come in. Um, so you have to draw your weapon and, quote, unquote, throw rounds down range at said targets and break contact. Basically, you're going to back up and go find some place to get cover and shoot. Well, <clears throat> um, every time I've done that, I've always pulled and went ting, ting, ting. And all three of them went down and I stood there like, what do I do now? <laughs> so, when you when you train it comes naturally or second nature i didn't pull get a bead and shoot i i did what we used to call a quarter drill in the army we would literally take a target and put circles on it and they would go either horizontal, vertical, sometimes we'd put them diagonal, and we would stand back and we'd take our, <clears throat> our rifle and we would stand there and whoever's running the range would say, you know, target one. You would raise that thing up and once that front sight post hit the center of that target, you pulled the trigger. And you're going to hit it. You can adopt that to a pistol. And that's how I do it every single time. I pull, I come out, boom, boom, boom. I don't use my rear sight. I use my front sight, and I hit every single time. Now, when you go and you look at the poppers, you know, I'm not hitting center mass of the, of the target, but I'm hitting the target itself. And it's all because I put in the time and the effort and get myself into some of the most ridiculous positions just to shoot. And that's something that, that that's a great reminder, okay? That what what uh, <clears throat> Frank is describing comes after... I was, I would say, years of training, 
Yeah. Okay. This isn't something that you just go to the range, learn your safety skills, and oh, hey, look at me, I can shoot a firearm, and then all of a sudden uh, you're shooting effective combat drills. Okay. Uh, this this takes years of experience and training. Well, <laughs> when I say repetition, that doesn't even scratch the surface. Uh, but once again, we're, we're trying to develop muscle memory and things like that. So once again, you learn about yourself and you learn about uh, how you can operate. Uh, so uh, over the course of, well, normally a handful of years, you can get to the point to where uh, you know what what sight picture works for you. You know how to, what, what grip <clears throat> on either a uh, rifle or a pistol works for you. Um, but yes, it takes years of training and practice uh, to get to the point to where you can be effective like that um, on a routine basis. And, and I'm not tooting my own horn because I am not, you know, an Olympic level shooter. Am I effective? Very much so. Um, but it's not because it comes natural. It's because I work at it. And <clears throat> if I don't go to the range for, you know, three or four months, I can see it. I mean, I, I, I can feel it. I can see it. And the way that the rounds hit the target but the things that never change is how the gun feels on my hand how it feels when I draw how it feels when I return it those are the things that stay constant now the things that change you kind of got to get back into the swing of it you know um, it's it's a, a perishable skill. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Now, you'll, you won't lose it 100%, but you will lose a lot of that finesse. Um, <clears throat> you know, like I, I practice shooting on the move. I will start over at the far left side of the range and I will pick a target and I will shoot as I'm walking. I'll shoot as I am at a trot and I'll pick up the speed as I shoot. And then you start throwing in some reloads and you start throwing in a couple of empty cases in there so that way you have a malfunction that you have to work while you're going from point A to point B you got to clear it you got to keep moving you know these are all things that you don't have to pay money to somebody to teach you I'm sure there's somebody a friend a neighbor a family member who can give you ideas of what to do, how to train. And then once you get that working knowledge, guess what? It's up to you to get off your ass and go do it. Well, that's the thing. And, <clears throat> excuse me, there are a, uh, a number of 
avenues you can take, even from the NRA, that's, that's inexpensive as far as getting started if you, if you haven't uh, operated firearms in the past. And even if you have maybe limited experience to where, hey, you can get the safety down, <clears throat> you can get the good habits, you get the marksmanship down and practice that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And once you have the basics down, just like with anything else, uh, once you can master the basics, then you can move on and get into the combat arena as far as training goes. And that's really how most entities, I will say, uh, first response entities, as well as the military, as far as, you know, how we divvy up training, you know, um, it, whether it be academy level, uh, like military level, you guys might have like grass week. I know the Marine Corps guys do that stuff. And then, then you have, you know, the, the week qualification week where you have to have that marksmanship down pat, you know, once you have that, then, okay, you can get into some combat stuff. And it's just like with us, you know, we do the stair-step levels uh, in, in the academy. Uh, well, in theory, and, and we're going to get to some of your stories here in a little bit, Frank, um, about what it's, what it's like here recently in, in some um, offerings. But that's the thing. Um, once again, what's, <clears throat> what's the, the first rule is um, don't engage if you don't have to, okay? There are other ways to get around. Uh, we find... Um, uh, taking cover, being swift at uh, ducking, diving if you have to, okay? <laughs> Guess yeah. what? You cannot return fire if you're dead, okay? That's another uh, pretty staunch rule in gunfighting, okay? You can't uh, you can't just, um, you know, pop up with a magic wand wave and uh, get back into it. Um, no. So that's the whole thing. Uh, you have to understand uh, your skill, ability, your level, and especially if you're newer to this, um, this is not a TV show, you know, the real world is, does not operate that way. So the whole idea is, um, yes, you may have a sidearm, but that does not mean that you're, uh, required to utilize it. Okay. Well, that, and, and there's no magic bullet, you know, you're not going to stick your, stick your hand up over the hood of your car and just spray wildly and expect to hit every bad guy. I guarantee you're going to miss with every round. And once again, you can be accountable for every round that, that uh, leaves that muzzle. Yep, every round has a lawyer attached to it. So, um, you know, that's the thing. I don't care who you are. Um, once again, it's still not to beat a dead horse, but why put yourself in that position? If you can find a way out, um, that especially to... Uh, we're going to get into more of uh, assessments and, and, you know, situational awareness and things like that down the pike. But sometimes things are not necessarily what they seem to be. As a matter of fact, well, most times. We'll, we'll uh, go back to that, that magic question that you ask yourself. Is it worth it? Right. Is it worth me lifting my shirt up to pull my gun that this guy didn't even know I had? Exactly. Because he threatened me and I... You know, he hurt my inner child. So now I have to let my ego take over and pull my gun that more than likely I don't know how to use. And I'm going to cause more problems than I would have if I would just walked away. Well, you just hit another uh, excellent point on the head. Um, when the emotion sets in, logic just leaves the room. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's a thing. That's you want to think with your head, not with your emotions, and uh, that's probably once again, law enforcement officers. We have to remember that. All right, 
military members have to remember that. Okay, these are these are not things that are just you know lessons for the novice. These are things that all of us have to think about and take into consideration. But when we get to that training, <clears throat> and I do remember uh, the the first sheriff's office uh, with which I worked. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, it, it, I have some good news, by the way. I think we, we mentioned it uh, last week, but we're going to have some guests on our show here coming up. So we're we, quite we, hinted, excited. we hinted around to it, but I don't think we actually okay. yeah, I confirmed. But yes, we are going to have some guests on the show, and, and one of those guests uh, was the head firearms instructor for a sheriff's department uh, within which I worked. And uh, I remember him way back in the 90s, uh, telling our class that, hey, you know, this repetition means something. You may not understand it now. You're on the range, and, and we're making you do this over and over and over and over again. But when you're on the street, I guarantee you there will be a time where you will uh, thank God for this training. And he was absolutely right. It took a few years, and I remember on a specific traffic stop on the east side of a uh, major uh, Midwestern Metropolitan Agency or city. Um, uh, I had a, a vehicle stopped, um, and uh, the the driver was not capitulating uh, to very basic commands, <clears throat> like "Please show me your hands." <clears throat> and uh, it got. To, and I remember I was once again, you know, lots of things are flowing through your head. You know, you're you're going through a passenger uh, that was in the front seat. Uh, <clears throat> he jumped out of the car and ran off. Uh, behind a house, uh, and I'm thinking, oh crap, okay, now I'm, I've got a possible ambush situation, you know, that I'm looking at, and all of a sudden, so, uh, but all these things are going through my head, uh, I, I remember, I, said, I better, you know, have my weapon where I need it, alright, and I look down, and guess what, it's, all, it's already there, Yep. I mean, already, I didn't have to think, long before I, that thought ever entered my head, uh, my sidearm was exactly where it needed to be. And, um, and I remember that once again, 20 some odd years later, I still remember that specific situation. Um, that, yeah, that was the first time that literally I did not have to think, boom, the training was there. You know, everything that was, uh, instilled into this pea little brain of mine, uh, actually came through for me and bam, it was there. So, uh, just as far as that story goes, uh, no one was shot killed, maimed, injured in any way, shape, or form, and uh, the, the bad guys ended up in jail and uh, car, cars towed, and everybody, ha well, not quite everybody was happy, but at any rate, everybody was in one piece and uh, unscathed uh, <clears throat> after that scenario, but that's the whole thing, uh, is that you, you really want to strive for that. When you get to that level, it's like, okay, I'm finally you know, at a level to where, okay, now, that's all, that's not the end all, that's merely the level to where, okay, now, I can start doing other stuff, okay, that's, so really, you're still a Padawan that, at that, that level. In, um, in all actuality, that is ground floor. Yeah, exactly. When you can focus on what's ahead of you, and all of a sudden, your hand is already where it needs to be. Yep. That's ground floor. That's when you start building on top of that and get better and better yes. and better and better. Yes. <clears throat> and I will mention just one thing. Uh, when you think you know it all, uh, get the hell out. Yeah. Okay? Uh, you're a menace to everybody around you. So just get the heck out. Um, retire. Leave. Um, 
get a job at Hardee's. Uh, I was going to say, I think McDonald's is higher. Yeah, yeah. there, exactly. So, yeah. Whatever. But as soon as you think um, that you know it all, um, leave. Just do us all a favor and leave. So. But anyway, let's get back. Uh, we've been promising Frank stories on some recent training. And, you know, we're, we're doing, we got this compare and contrast thing, this comparison thing. So back in the day, you know, in the 90s, it was, you know, balls to the wall. Um, you, you're, you work through pain, you work through this, you work through that, uh, blood, sweat, tears. It's not real, real training unless you're bleeding, sweating and tearing up somehow from whatever, um, egregious pain you're feeling from some, uh, limb of your body. So we go from hard charging training to Frank. Uh, Christ, how do I want to put this without hurting too many feelings? <clears throat> At best, um, it's a gentleman's course. The academy training is a gentleman's course. Now you're speaking about one particular class that you went. We're not going to name names, of course, yeah. or anything like. That. So, it's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> it is a state certified law enforcement academy. Um, it is at best a gentleman's course. Um. Kind of told a few war stories about the <laughs> the fiascos on the range. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see, uh, DTs for example, defensive tactics. Um, I got yelled out I don't know how many times because I was going too hard, putting in too much effort or should I say force, um, they wanted to cut everything off at 30%. That was it. Well, um, my partner was probably one of the biggest guys in the class. And we kind of enjoyed beating on each other, which we did on a daily basis. Um, we got yelled at. Because we were going um, above and beyond the 30%. Um, when I was done with that class each day, um, I had bumps and bruises and red marks all over me. And I was, I was okay with it. Um, There, there was, there was literally no challenge involved in that class. Um, they were more, you know, let let me just wipe your nose and and you know set you on your way. Go, you know, take you guys play nice. You didn't have stress cards, did you? <clears throat> no, might as well. <clears throat> um, you know, I mean, Christ, Evoc. Um, we had a familiar familiarization lap, then there was the slow lap, then there was the medium lap, and then if you were comfortable, you could go fast. Do you want to bet? Guess what I did? My familiarization, I was running 60 miles an hour. I didn't give a shit. 
So your fast lap, you're telling me that uh, rubber was flying off the wheel. <clears throat> I had that car sideways more times than I could count. See, that's proper driving. And uh, luckily, I had an instructor that was um okay with it. Let's just put it that way. Um, I I got yelled at at the every day when we would get done. I had a stern talking to about reckless behavior. <laughs> well, Frank, I, I, I got to tell you, in this instructor's defense, you just look reckless. I mean, okay. you just have this reckless look. There, there, yeah. We know what track we're talking about. So turn seven, it's a, it's a very sharp hairpin turn that kind of comes back in on itself. And then you can't help but put it sideways. I, Especially... Yeah, I it mean, was I, wet. You oh, know, it kind of rained a little bit. Yes. yes um, yes, the yes. tires, you know, they look like baloney skins, and I used it to my advantage. I I have to say that I've been guilty of the same thing. But you know, I mean, like I said, just, back in that day, we were supposed to. But the thing is, the the instructors. When it got to the breakout weeks, where the, you know, firearm, DTs, uh, EVOC, hands-on stuff, uh, it was a, it was like recess at, in kindergarten. You know, you guys play nice and, you know, just take it easy. Now, not, I have a question. It, not get... real stuff. <clears throat> I mean, you know, and I, tr I tried to do it, you know, the way that I would normally do it. And I kind of got shot down every time. So what about on the street? Can you just ask the bad guy to take it easy? Yeah. That's, is that, is that's, that, is that's, that the new mentality here? That's the mentality that and, and the Please, idea sir. that they put in in their heads. You know? You can tell, hey, let's, let's, let's just, you know, let's talk about this. No. Sir, please stop shooting at me while you're trying to talk to me. I can't understand what no, you're saying. We, we, we don't we don't play that game. Hmm. You know, hmm. I mean, there's a certain point of, of, of conversation, and then it goes physical. But they they want to just extend this conversation, easygoing mentality, even though the bad guy has got his hands on. Him. And it's it, it, it it's 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 a bad so situation. What you're insinuating here is that perhaps in some venues, should we say, that maybe training might be leading to some of these problems. Well, on the street. I. I did have a um, an in-depth conversation with one of the DT's instructors. After he got done chewing my ass because, you know, I was... <laughs> you were just not playing nicely. Yeah, well, yeah, whatever. But, um, <clears throat> he said the... This academy is designed to give you a working knowledge. 
the departments are supposed to elevate you and teach you more. And I thought, well, no, it's supposed to be the other way around. You are supposed to give me a full toolbox so when I go to my department, I have something more to use. I said, there are a handful of people in this class that the only thing you have done was you gave them a license to get their ass handed to them. Because they were going to get their ass beat before, but now it's going to be even worse because they think they know something or they think they have, you know, a grasp of a technique when they don't know anything. They're going to put themselves in a worse position by coming at the bad guy and <laughs> they're, they're, they're going to get beat kind, down. Kind of like people that could not pass the firearms. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother... Practical I, portion, let's put it I, I, You have to understand, we're there for a week. All day and into the night. You're shooting the same course all day. Multiple times a day. And then when it comes time to qualify, you shoot the same course for record three times. Now, I don't mean to interrupt you, but think about what we were talking about just a second ago mm -hmm. between the basics and combat level training. But here's, here's, there you go. Here's, here's where I'm going with this. So you're shooting the same course. You have instructors from the academy, but they also have, I'll call them guest instructors that come from other departments to help out. If you can't do, if you can't hit the target from day one, then they should have pulled you off the range. That means you can't shoot when you got there. That means you were doing your job and not knowing how to shoot. But yet, all week long, you're hitting the rafters, you're bouncing it off the concrete, you're beating up the, the dirt mound behind the target, but, you know, you might put a few holes in the target down at the corner or up in the shoulder or maybe in the ear or something like that on the target. Because they don't have the wherewithal to go on their own to train. So that when they got there, they know what to do. Kind of goes back to what we were talking about. You train on your own so when the time comes it's second nature once again it's called tradecraft okay and it's a it's a <clears throat> word that's not typically used uh, these days but <clears throat> excuse me um also just as a reminder you know we're telling our stories and that's just it yeah. um you know you're only hearing our side of things okay and it's this is also a good lesson uh to be reminded uh, that um, we don't always know the whole story when sometimes we think we might. 
and uh, seeing one video, for instance, or and, I mean, yeah, I, listening to one story, for instance, you know. I, I can only talk about what I saw. Yes. And, you know, what I could glean from that week of watching those individuals on the ring. Yeah, that particular class with those particular instructors. Now, I will say this. Let's go to the academic side of it. You know, you you got your criminal law and traffic law and all that. Um, they 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 taught you, they hit the high points. But if you weren't smart enough to actually dig a little deeper and learn the other stuff, or had prior knowledge before you got there, once again. They have given you enough information for your ass to wind up in court and probably lose everything that you have. So, you know, just enough to be dangerous, as we used to say back in the day. Well, I, I like to say, uh, I'll just change that up a little bit. Instead of enough to be dangerous, just enough to be stupid. I mean, you know, there were people in that class that didn't even know what the Fourth Amendment was. Or the First Amendment. See, we talked about that off. Uh, yeah, off and I mean, podcast. how how can you do this job and not know the now? What the de- fourth de- is? Describe quickly, I, especially you, you for those of us that have been in practicing as law enforcement officers, we have a better appreciation for this. <sighs> Let's talk about how they taught a criminal law class. For oh instance. God. Okay, that I think would provide more insight to. Okay, so uh, criminal law was the majority of the academics. You have criminal law and then traffic law. Well, you would think that's your bread and butter. You know, that is the that's the heart of this job. Um. So you would think there would be an instructor in front of you teaching the curriculum and fielding questions and back and forth and this and that. No. It was a series of videos that was played. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't ask a video a question. Well, you could, but it would be rhetorical. Well, yeah, I mean, if I ask a question, I I would like to get some kind of response back, whether it's a shut up and sit down or here's the answer. So the, the guy that was teaching the criminal law, um, they, for whatever reason, they had videos and they would just play these videos. Well, he no longer teaches there he went on to bigger and better things so the last god what was the last two weeks of that class we finally got somebody in there to uh, teach us to be an instructor and his words were and I quote um, just forget everything that you that you heard on those videos because I'm going to teach you off of my curriculum. And 
it was you you took that whole criminal law class condensed it down to two weeks and it I mean it, it was it was a cluster and I I'm seriously debating on how most of these people passed that class back in the day the state academy and we're not mentioning states or anything like that where we are um, of course if you're listening closely enough you might figure it out but the whole idea is back in the day the state's academy was rated very highly mm -hmm. on a national level and probably the biggest reason why was the criminal law instructor at the time. Well, it, here's the thing. The, uh, the academy was one of the few academies that you could take your training and your certificate and it would be recognized in other states. As I did out west. Yeah. Um, and you're right. When I got out west, um, I remember it was my first um, field training officer. Uh, out there, uh, he looked at me and said, "Man, we love officers from your state." I said, "Well, why is that?" He said, "You guys are like attorneys in uniform." He said, "You know, and, and just to be silly, you know, to make his point, he'd ask me something about <clears throat> the Fourth Amendment and searching trunks and certain traffic stops, blah blah blah." And I'm just rattling off, you know, okay, well, you can do this, you can do that, but you can't do this, and, and blah blah blah. And uh, he said, yeah, see what I'm talking about? I said, well, okay, I guess. But I really didn't know that much about their training out there. I just was focused on mm -hmm. passing all of my crap to get certified and everything out there. So uh, <clears throat> it came time for me to take a, a written exam out there. And it literally, it, I was warned a couple of different times, especially from some deputies that had been from this state. And he said, hey, do not, you know, utilize common sense or your traditional law sense in taking that test you will fail and I'm thinking how can I fail when I know the law I mean as far as constitutional law as far as substantive law and I'm thinking well okay well it's a good thing I studied the study guide that I had at the time but the point is I start looking at that test when I had to take it, and I'm reading the questions, and I'm like, a frickin' third grader wrote this. I mean, honest to God, these questions do not make any sense at all. I mean, not just law sense, but common sense. And I thought, wow, they were right. This is probably the dumbest, poor, most poorly written test that I have taken in my life. Well... <clears throat> Go back to, to what I was talking about. We, the instructor at the time, back for, well, heck, he was teaching from, I'm going to say, the early 80s. I mean, he had a tenure there at the academy for decades, uh, and rightly so, just an excellent instructor. And um, the whole thing is, he literally taught a criminal law course very much akin to how a um, law school teaches. A, mm -hmm. a course, okay? In other words, you weren't just expected to sit there and look at um, a video 
or um, you know uh, some type of presentation and then just regurgitate you know take some notes and, and then regurgitate some information no you learned how to brief cases okay and you were graded on your case briefs and so it was much more interactive than the typical okay sit here pay attention to that drool a little bit and then regurgitate your information so in other words we learned uh, I guess the old-fashioned way okay is that you wrote and you took copious notes uh, or else you would fail the class okay and we had uh, it was what two or three weeks long and I remember uh, he had a very famous well we considered it infamous uh, <laughs> law quiz um, uh, after the first week of training and that law quiz was only about 20 or 25 questions but very very poignant questions and um, he used that as a gauge and most people took that quiz and got scared to death you know had they not had I had the benefit of taking criminal law in college um, so uh, <coughs> so I had a, a taste of this stuff I had learned how to brief cases and stuff like that in a college class before I came here but um, the whole thing is I also had something uh, of which to compare and I can honestly say the the college course I took um, it was a little more intensive we we, uh, we had more time you know in a regular traditional college semester you know we had more time to get into stuff so we would actually brief Supreme Court cases uh, so like a 20-page assignment homework assignment was really you know like 120 pages or 160 mm -hmm. pages because you have to reread and reread and reread for the content okay when you're reading an actual case you know whereas uh, the instructor here at the Academy he actually published his own book um, with all the major cases that they covered in class but he briefed them uh, so basically the the Academy students were briefing his briefs if I know I'm getting a little bit into the weeds here but that's the whole thing the whole point is though you learned the, from the same uh, aspect okay as far as learning how to brief you you study the, the cases uh, you learn what pieces of information are viable for what type of brief that you are uh, composing and things like that that's how you learn criminal law or any law for that matter I don't civil law it, it doesn't make a difference but that's the whole thing so when we came out of that class um, that was an accomplishment I mean you just went through some academic crap you know to pass that class and not everybody passed the class mm -hmm. um, we had you know uh, several uh, students that did not maybe have the benefit of uh, college experience or uh, uh, some type of uh, you know deeper educational pursuit that okay they just weren't quite used to that and okay hey let's go back and and uh, he once again this instructor to his name did such a very good job of taking people that just did not have the experience and say okay let's let's go through this again you're gonna pass that test now once again he did not cheat he did not I mean you learned that stuff okay and you learned that content um, it, it come hell or high water by the time graduation uh, uh, time hit very few people failed that test but uh, in other words there's a great example nobody lowered the standard 
Okay, for the people that, that no, you, you, and that's the thing. You, you, the standard was still where it was, where it should be, and you trained people, you empowered people to rise to that standard. Well, here's here's one other thing they did. <clears throat> so you take a test, and it's it's no it's no longer on paper. It's actually on a, a certain program. Oh yeah, that's right. <clears throat> and it gets graded the second you take it and you submit it. Well, what they do is they compile all of the tests and they find questions that everybody missed. And if there are, say, four questions that everybody missed, they take the question out, but they give you credit. Lovely. So, yeah. so if you have ten questions and everybody missed two, instead of saying okay, everybody got an eighty percent, no, they give you credit for those, and now everybody has a hundred. Wow, that kind of reflects uh, some things that we see in society, does it not? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Here's your gracious. participation trophy. Dear heavens! <clears throat> and I mean, this was on every single test. Not just law. Every test. Every test. Even the final test of the academy. They did the same thing. So you're trying to tell me that a couple of knuckle-draggers could go in there, not study a damn bit, and probably end up on the frickin' dean's list. I didn't study shit. Huh. And I got like a 92 or a 93% overall. Wow. And I'm an idiot. We do. We, uh, uh, for those uh, new listeners, yes, we are knuckle dragger idiots, and we hold ourselves <laughs> on that line. So, uh, like, it, it's basically if we can do something, then anybody should be able to do it. Okay. I, I'm go I'm going to give you a word, and you tell me in your own words what it means. Prima facie. Well, primary face. That's what it means. Right, but in the law enforcement field, what does it mean? Well, uh, on the face of things, this is what we have. Right. Do you realize that it, we sat in class for almost five hours trying to explain what that means? What you see is what you get. There was, there was a percentage of that class that could not grasp that concept. Hmm. And then on top of that, you know... Um, <clears throat> there were no decisions that were ever made without having a group discussion. Oh, I remember you bringing that up earlier. The, so the we were sitting in class discussion. watching these videos, and it was five minutes before we had to go to chow. Um, they had to have a group discussion whether they were to going to just get up and go to the meeting place to go to chow or sit and wait for somebody to come pick them up and take them up there or tell them they could go to chow. Do you know what I did? I said, screw you people, got up and walked out. You don't have the balls to make a decision. You're in the wrong position. You This, no, this, class, this, this academy is designed for you to... Use your brain, use your own discretion, and make decisions 
and go with it. Right whoa, whoa, or wrong? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, you're, you're, you're trying to tell me that as a police officer, I'm responsible for making decisions? Uh, I guess not in that. Not, not there. Damn. You know, I wish I would have known that before. I wouldn't have wasted 27 years of my life doing this. I'm, I'm telling you. It, Holy I mean, it's just, you know, <clears throat> and then. I mean, they, what about life or death decisions? I they, mean, like, in fractions of a second. Well, I, you you got to wait for somebody to tell you to do something. You, you better okay. get on. You okay. get on the phone. Get all on the radio. Whatever. Hey, can I all do right. this? Right. Now, can you can you tell all the participants just to freeze where they are until you get? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's okay. It's permissible to mm -hmm. do that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good deal. You know. Then and then. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you you couldn't leave the academy. Oh, that's right. Yes. Well, <clears throat> me being me. I left. I'm starting to remember a Chick-fil-A story. Yes. That you mentioned to me just a couple of weeks ago. I walked in with a bag and a cup from Chick-fil-A. There are no Chick-fil-A's at the, the academy. They don't, they haven't put a Chick-fil-A in the academy yet? No. I walked in. There was one of the instructors standing <laughs> towards the door. <laughs> And I walked up, and I purposely waved at him with said Chick-fil-A stuff in my hand. He goes, Chick-fil-A's pretty good, isn't it? And I went, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just walked right past him. <laughs> now, the only way that I could have gotten Chick-fil-A is if I would have got into my truck and drove there and then drove back. So you're trying to tell me that you're not omnipresent, that you can't just be everywhere all the time? Yes. Hmm. And, and I proved the fact that their standards are shit because I purposely didn't shine my boots and I purposely didn't press my pants and I purposely didn't shave. Yeah, but you were what? You were the only guy that actually shined his boots and pressed his pants yeah. and shirt. Mm -hmm. And nobody noticed that. No. When and they, then you decide. Then you decide to go notice, rogue. When they didn't notice that. I said, okay, I'm going to go the opposite direction, and I'm going to just, I didn't. You became I, the rogue. I took my pants, and I literally balled them up and threw them in the bottom of my, my locker. I scuffed all the, you know, all the shine off my boots, and I didn't shave. Now, I've, I've been, I've been out for a short period of time, and you can, you know, you look at my face. I, I have a Grizzly Adams type of beard going on right now. It grows fast. It, it does. It grows within minutes. So imagine what I look like in three days. I had a, I had a nice little thing going on. I'm I'm actually trying to get past this. You mentioned something about uh, wadding up your pants. Did you do that actually in a hallway or something in front of people, or did you actually? I mean, were you running around pantsless at the academy? Maybe. <laughs> See that that probably caused a lot of your your angst. Well, and, and and I mean, I I purposely did it, and I wanted to see. I wanted a reaction. I wanted somebody to say, "Your pants look let, like shit." Let me guess. You probably walked right smack in front of like maybe the director of the academy. I may or may not have done that. 
right smack in the front of his face. Hello, sir. How you doing? I I may have look at me, stood sir, there and had a conversation with him with no shiny boots, wrinkly pants. Let me and, did, did, yeah. So did you it, during the course of this conversation actually bring up the points that that should have been painfully obvious to him as far as the disheveled I, pants? I did. And, I did say that the standards are shit. And he kind of looked at me like, well, what do you mean? I, I did the, uh, you know, the, the, like, hey, look at me type of thing. And I might as well have been talking to Stevie Wonder because he just didn't really grasp the concept. Lovely. So, And this is an institution of which people matriculate in order to become certified police officers in a certain well, midwestern state. Here's here's the thing. I think it has become more of a financial cash cow for them. Because they know departments can't have people work for them without being state certified. So we're going to send you to the academy and you're going to become state certified. So you can come back and make your little whatever you get paid a year. Meanwhile, they're paying this said academy to quote unquote train you. I'm getting this very odd feeling that you may be attempting to utilize some political excuse for the way things are conducted at that academy. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I can't quite put my I, finger I, on I'm, it, I'm, but I'm in, I'm, something tells me. That I'm pointing that direction, but I'm not going to go there. Mm, that ugly word, that P word. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a lot of good things to say about the director of said state academy. Um, you know, he, he is very... Political. It sounds to me like uh, there are monkey poop fights at the zoo that are better organized. Than oh yeah. Uh, now, once again, I we we say this once again. This is a purely entertainment-driven channel here, and like we'd like to remind everybody, uh, you're only hearing our stories. So once again, uh, <clears throat> please do not draw illicit conclusions based upon just what you hear from a couple of knuckle-draggers on a podcast. But I will say this. <clears throat> that is the difference between then and now. There we go. That's what we're getting at. Okay. Yes. Uh, you know, when you went through it, it was a total different thing. And at the same time, I was on the other side of the house going through... The military side. Military side of the house. Well, now I'm, I'm on this side of the house and it's it's painfully obvious that it's become nothing but political and money driven and it's it's bad and the whole point to this is um, it's who suffers but let's that's that's the other aspect to this we're not once again we're not a well, that, that's a loaded obviously. question I mean you know, the, <coughs> the suffers? public suffers 
the, first the and department, foremost, the uh, individual suffers? Well, first and foremost, the public suffers. All right? The taxpayer suffers. Mm-hmm. Because they expect a professional service through law enforcement. No matter who you are, no matter what agency, no matter what your badge looks like, you are expected and should perform to a certain level. And when that does not happen, once again, sometimes we have issues that uh, can um, explode And people start asking questions. Well, this is just an example. This is just one possibility that maybe if we were uh, to shore up some training. And now, obviously, we all, there are a number of reasons why they do what they do right now. Um, But the thing is, um, it's, it's our beloved profession. Okay, this is why we're bringing this up. And this is why we're being um, I'll just say this is why we're saying what we're saying. Well, because I'll, we want our beloved profession to be better. I will give you another example. I was sitting in criminal law and I asked a question. I said in, in my department I get more domestic calls than anything. And I was cut off and told that is something that we will cover as far as, you know, domestic domestic battery, domestic battery with injury, so forth, you know, just the generic labels. But how you handle it and how you charge it, you'll find out from your department. Well, I can tell you what that sounds like, but I don't think I'm going to say it out loud. You, you don't have to because I'm, I'm... It is what it is. Sometimes. And, I, and I looked at him and, and I said, you know, that is probably the most piss poor answer to a question that I've heard in a long time. I said, these people here probably have never had any experience with a domestic call. They don't know what it's like when you go in there and little Johnny beat the piss out of Mary and they're both heated and you you don't know what you're going to do because you're not teaching them how to do it. You're just saying, oh, well, just charge domestic battery. Uh, domestic battery with serious injury. Uh, there's an <clears throat> aggravator because there was a kid in it. You know, you, you 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 can't do that. They're setting these people up for failure on a regular basis. Now, also keep in mind, um, a lot of people don't understand uh, how various departments operate. Um, larger agencies oftentimes employ their own academy. And they can be much more focused on a number of uh, finite topics, okay? Um, On a state level, when you're going, you're training, once again, officers from various departments. That's where uh, Frank is mentioning, you know, they uh, say, hey, you know, your department may handle things a little bit differently than another department. And that's, uh, that's true in many ways. But 
there's also, once again, the, the general law descriptors. There's the general, uh, you know, once again, there are state statutes or state statutes and, and things like that. So, uh, but it's something to remember. Uh, we cannot look at law enforcement like we look at the military. And this is just a, a, a general reminder that, uh, you know, oftentimes if, if an officer does something wrong from, um, you know, the Idaho Department of Stupidity, and um, that doesn't mean that all police officers around the country do that or practice that in that way, shape, or function, or what have you. Um, so these, all of these entities are unique, and uh, they... Um, Many of, uh, of these entities are specialty agencies. They may have different responsibilities. Uh, so you can't look at just, you know, one officer or one department and say, oh, we all do the same thing. Uh, we cannot generalize like that. Um, and, and as opposed to the military, say, the Marine Corps, there's only three ways to become a Marine. Okay, and that's it. You, you either go through Paris Island, San Diego, or uh, Lejeune, and that's it. Okay, um, the UCMJ is, you know, militarily wide. You know, all all branches practice or, or fall under the UCMJ. Uh, even though you know all of us police officers out here in the civilian world <coughs> operate within constitutional confines and, and framework, um, not all agencies uh, practice the, the same things. Like I said, there are smaller agencies that do certain things. Uh, larger agencies do something else. Um, so once again, you cannot just take a blanket approach if you are such an overbroad approach with uh, with uh, civilian law enforcement like oftentimes we do with the military. Well, so. see, and I think <clears throat> I think that's something that should be addressed. You know, you can go out to East Bumble and, you know, they're going to handle something completely different than they would in a major metropolitan area I think there needs to be a, you know a standard across the board you know like any any law you can always add to but you can't take away that's yes. why you need to have that standard you know whether big city does this and little town does that well no you need to have an even keel and then if you want to add to it fine right go ahead. there's always a standard and that's the thing. And once again, uh, perhaps sometimes uh, training doesn't always meet the standard. Is, yeah, is um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to lean towards probably most of the time it doesn't meet the standard. Well, we're getting close to another uh, point of manipulation if we're not careful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because uh, we are definitely not um, um, inexperienced podcasters by any stretch of the means. So, uh, with that said, uh, Frank and Fred are going to have to sign off. And uh, just remember, we're uh, here for entertainment purposes only, and we are not here to uh, disseminate any type of legal advice. And so once again, uh, any questions, concerns, ideas, shoot us an email, bluelinebrothers22 at gmail.com. Thank and you. And we're out.